Welcome to Cloister Bell, a new podcast celebrating the past, present and future of Doctor Who. I'm Robert. And welcome to the first podcast of Cloister Bell, a podcast exclusively about Doctor Who, which the new series has just started, starring Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, something which marks a significant change for the programme. Yep, and the casting of Jodie Whittaker was an interesting one. It's been quite divisive online. Um, mm-hmm. It's been quite interesting reading all the reactions when her announcement was made. Um, Liam, what were your thoughts? Um, I wasn't particularly surprised that um, a woman was going to be cast as the Doctor. I think mm. because at that stage, uh, Stephen Moffat, who had been um, the lead writer of the show for quite some time, he'd really, yeah. one of the great things he did for the show was he really laid down the groundwork for the possibility of a woman to be cast. Yeah, um, and, and there's a few examples I didn't of that, think isn't it was Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. The, no, no, that's absolutely fine. So for it's it's br- there's a brief mention in uh, the Doctor's wife where it's mentioned that some Time Lord change into a woman. So you have that as a sort of a, a throwaway reference. Sure. Then the big one where you then have the Master, this yes. th- one of the main villains of 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 the Doctor, and come it, back and, and it's again missing. in in that series in series eight, um, I believe it's mm-hmm. the last episode. The opening titles is flipped on its head. We've got um, Jenna Coleman's eyes in the titles and her name comes first and she claims to be the Doctor in the start of the episode to the oh, Cybermen. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So that, that's kind of a little hint towards that. Um, mm-hmm. And Jodie Whittaker is not, ex- not the first female Doctor we've had on screen. Because Joanna Lumley was the first lady. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that's quite funny. If you actually look at the Curse of Fatal Death now, which for those that don't know, was a, a comedy uh, sort of sketch of Doctor Who back in I think nineteen ninety nine for Children in Need. Yeah. Which was written by Stephen Moffat, and it's really funny looking back at it now. It's great. It's funny. It still stands up, but in many ways, it sort of it sort of encapsulates everything. Yeah. That Stephen Moffat ended up doing on the show for real. And and one one of the one of the lines in there, when Rowan Atkinson's daughter's dying, um, his companion says, "He was oh he never was, cruel and never cowardly. never cruel never cowardly," mm-hmm. um, and that's the first time that was referenced, and that became a prominent thing. In the yeah, series. I think because I think the first time that that was ever used to, to describe the Doctor was actually in the Virgin New Adventures, which okay. was the the original novels uh, in the nineties when the show wasn't being broadcast. Okay, I think I've, I've forgotten which novel it was mentioned in, but I think that's where it was first mentioned. But yeah, Stephen Moffat sort of uses that as a way to describe the Doctor in that, and yeah, that has become prominent. In fact, because Peter Capaldi basically mentions it in his uh, last speech as the Doctor just before you regenerate. Yeah, yeah. And it pretty much fundamentally sums him up, mm-hmm. what what his character stands for. Yeah, yeah. But going back to um, 
Jodie Whittaker because when that was announced last year in 2017 with that um, that specially filmed uh, video uh, that was broadcast during Wimbledon. Oh, the announcement, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because as I said, I wasn't I wasn't surprised. I was, you know, if you, uh, specifically with Jodie Whittaker because with all due respect to Jodie Whittaker, she wasn't actually someone that I was aware of. No. I mean, I know that she's, you know, she was a very well-respected actress and I've got friends who have seen her um, and other things. I think she was in Broadchurch mm-hmm. and they've said, oh, no, no, she's, she's really, really good. But I wasn't aware of her prior to it. But in terms of... Um, a woman being cast, as I said, I wasn't surprised because I think everything had been set up perfectly during the Moffat era. Yeah. I think to the point where, had a man been cast, that would have been more surprising. Yeah. Do you think if they had cast a man, do you think would have just got another young actor? Possibly. I mean, because the, the whole thing is, regardless of whoever's cast, they've always yeah. got to be a contrast to who's gone on before. Yeah. And Peter Capaldi is the oldest actor to play the Doctor since it came back in 2005. That's so right. the obvious contrast would have been to have gone, would have gone, uh, give it to someone younger. Yeah. How young, we don't know. But that, that would have been an obvious contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I said, I mean, the, the whole thing, because as you said before, the, the, the reaction was, um, was interesting. I don't think it was strictly necessary to have um, a female doctor. I mean, you've got that whole argument, uh, the, the whole debate about um, female role models, which is very important and does need to yeah. be discussed. In terms of Doctor Who, didn't think it was strictly necessary. Having said that, though, Doctor Who's, because of this quirk of, of regeneration and so on, it does actually lend itself to change uh, the gender of the character without the show really being affected. Um, it's still an important step, and I think it's 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 a really good one. Yeah. Um, and actually, in ter- in terms of the show, it future proofs the casting because actually you just you're opening up the possibilities of we can have a man play the role, we can have a woman play the role. It, it doesn't really matter as long no. as it's a good actor, regardless. Um, so that's absolutely fine. Um, I had to reserve judgment in terms of Jodie Whittaker because, as I say, I hadn't seen her. Uh, in anything uh, no, prior I, to this. I hadn't either. But, um, but, but I wasn't concerned because they've never mucked up uh, the casting of the Doctor. And no. I don't think they were going to start here. Um, so I was just going to be interested to see... It's, it's like what's happened in the past. It's like, oh, right, okay, such and such is playing the Doctor. It's going to be interesting what they do with that role. Yeah. Um, so as I say, I, for, for me, it was just something that you just accepted. There was interesting reaction. I don't think we have to go too much into it, but yeah, no. you had. I mean, my favorite one, which got a lot of uh, got a lot of uh, attention because people found it funny, which was the whole thing of "I don't want a female doctor. I don't want a TARDIS full of bras," mm-hmm. which I thought was <laughs> was hysterical. <laughs> um, and it's like, what? So you want a TARDIS full of underpants, which <laughs> we've seen for the last fifty odd years? Like, no, that's just silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so, so yeah, um, I wasn't really bothered about that since the show returned well since the show's been running there's always been a dominant female character anyway um so there's no really there's not much change there is there no no not in that regard as you say the um the uh since the show came back in 2005 it has always had a a, a, both male and female characters written for incredibly well Mm. um of course, the biggest change is now is that the lead character 
is um, is now a woman. Yeah. And absolutely fine. Um, yes, it has been controversial, but to be perfectly honest, I think in the grand scheme of things, I think those that um, who have moaned about the decision um, yeah. are probably in the minority. And that isn't people who have, you know, who said, uh, you know, the point of, I don't think it's strictly uh, necessary. I mean, Peter yeah. Davison, who played the fifth, uh, fifth Doctor, I think, uh, had that opinion perfectly mm-hmm. fine, and he articulated it really well. But I think um, some of the uh, the vitriol that was aimed at him for people who were very pro the choice, I think, was a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. In the same regard that some people who were who were very anti it were extreme. But I think most of us are in the middle of going, yeah, absolutely fine. I'm not really bothered as long as the casting's good. Oh, great! Turns out to be a woman. Um, it's the same reaction with anyone who gets cast. I'm going to reserve judgment. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that character. Um, obviously, being a fan of the show, as the show was approaching, I, I maybe had five minutes where I, it did hit me, and and I was not in a negative way, but I was thinking, oh, what what change will this bring? Will will it change the way I enjoy the show? Um, and then mm-hmm. I thought, well, of course it won't. And when, when I sat down to watch the episode, and what usually happens in each new actor's initial story, by the end of the episode, um, I've just totally forgot that it's a, a new person, you know? It just feels like the same character each time. You, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And it, it, um, it, it draws you back to the the question, who's your favourite Doctor? It's... It's it's a that's a hard one to answer, you know. I I generally hop back and forward, and I've got a Doctor of the Month, you know, whatever I feel like watching. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I could answer that, but ultimately it's a hard question to answer. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it it still feels like the same character. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think uh, the biggest mistake that they that they could have done was. Um, and I don't think this was ever going to be the, the, the possibility because we're talking about people who, at the end of the day, uh, are passionate about the show, in charge of it, and are just really good writers and just want to tell a, a cracking good story. Mm-hmm. The concern potentially would have been, okay, they, they've made the Doctor Roman, now let's just constantly bang on about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they were to take that approach, then no, that's just silly. The, the approach that they eventually took is actually the, the, the sensible one, which is the Doctor's a woman, uh, whatever. Let's just tell a good story. And in fact, you, with the accept- so with this new episode, the um, the first episode of the series, the woman who fell to earth, it's referenced in the title, it's briefly mentioned in a line in Jodie Whittaker's first scene. You know why are you calling me, madam? And yeah. then a, a sort of a, a joke line uh, towards the end about um, it's been a while that she's bought women's clothes. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah, uh, it's just those those very sort of like those three brief things. Yeah, and the rest uh, the rest of it is just telling a just telling a good story with with good characters, and that's really what you want. Yeah, and one of my concerns was it potentially did take an element away from the show, which was um, like a possible love interest between the companion and the Doctor, which is something we've had loads of hints at since the show returned. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I think that's female... fine in in small doses. I mean, for yeah. me personally, I haven't got a problem with that. If if the writer, you know, it, it was a really good way 
when the show came back in 2005 to establish a, a, a sort of a, a romantic interest between yeah. Rose and the Doctor. Yeah. Um, that's fine once in a while. I... I mean, I suppose it's down to your personal preference. I haven't got, I haven't got an issue with that. And I remember, because uh, we're old enough to you, because we became fans when the show wasn't being made. Yeah. So we remember when um, the TV movie was broadcast in nineteen ninety six, and amongst yeah. fandom, there was a whole hoo ha that that Doctor Paul McGann's Doctor kissed the companion in that story. Uh, Dr. Chris Holloway, which wasn't a problem because it worked in terms of the story. The Eighth Doctor's clearly very romantic and very passionate. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a problem because in the you know, William Hartnell's Doctor, he's introduced to having a granddaughter. So clearly there's been, um, you know, he's, ha- he's, had a, he's created his own family. There's yeah. that romantic interest with the Aztec lady in the Doctor Who story, the Aztecs. Definitely. So you That's can an have, important point, yeah. yeah. So you can have that, but at the same time, Tom Baker, for example, who famously played the fourth Doctor, his whole attitude, uh, one of the big things about uh, his Doctor was his interpretation of the character. There wasn't anything, you know, he was completely alien, so romantic things wouldn't interest him. So with regards to no romantic interest with the characters, it doesn't seem to be Mm -hmm. a problem because they are quite interesting characters. And I think given the long time slot of the episode, we had a good chance to get introduced to the characters this time. And that was one of my concerns, that um, we just wouldn't care enough about these characters going forward. You know, how would you introduce three new characters in one episode Mm -hmm. and and feel invested in them and feel that there's um, any chemistry there? But I think it works really well going forward so far. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. In fact, um, one of the things that... Uh, really impressed me with this episode and it was evident from the off mm-hmm. was how how well written each of the characters were to the point where I actually felt that this is um, this is the first real focus on characterization that we've had arguably since the Russell T Davis era yeah um, because don't get me wrong Stephen Moffat is a good writer and very imaginative uh, and so on but I feel that his strengths um, were, you know, he really relished ideas. Yeah. And there was character development and so on. But um, in some respects, I think uh, the companion Clara is uh, really sort of summarises everything that, that, that that's good and arguably bad about Stephen Moffat as a writer. Because I think he really, he really gets his teeth into some very, very uh, good, strong, imaginative ideas. But sometimes, to the detriment of the ca- uh, detriment of characterization, I think Clara's a good example of that because when she was first introduced, she, in my opinion, she was a um, she was basically nothing more than a plot device for quite some time. Yeah. And then finally, she, got, she finally she got some character in the name of the Doctor onwards, and then finally that sort of worked. Uh, Russell T. Davis for me r- had a ve- was a bit more balanced and a bit more nuanced with expressing ideas but one of his strengths and we see this in Doctor Who we've seen this in um, in uh, other television shows that, that he's done as well yeah um, Bob and Rose being a particular favorite of mine all those years ago mm. it's characterization he really gets character very well and he can sum up a character perfectly introduce them sum them up um, with really economically and very very well um, 
So the the characters that we've got here, they were written so well and performed perfectly. It, it this felt like a, a return to that, which is which is a real strength, and it sort of emphasised the fact. Oh, this this feels like it's been lacking in the show for quite some time. Yeah, and going back, it's an interesting contrast between Rose and Clara. Rose was very mm-hmm. deep rooted. We knew where she was, where she lived, and where she came from. And with Clara. Mm-hmm. We don't. We still don't really know anything about that, which isn't important to the story that was being told. Um, but that's an interesting, mm-hmm. interesting contrast. And the new characters, though, they're all rooted in in the same place. You know, they're all they're they're all connected. So getting to know them was pretty easy because it was all part of the same um, same backstory, really, wasn't it? So in this new story. How many characters have we got? We've got Ryan Sinclair. Um, yep. We've got Graham, um, mm-hmm. his granddad. We've got Grace, Yasmin. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Did any of those characters stand out um, prominently to you? Who would stand out as more of a companion? Or do you think it's a good balance between them all? I think it's a, it's a really good balance uh, between them all, I think um, if I was to have a preference, I think it would be uh, Graham's character only because um, I, r- I really, really liked Bradley uh, Bradley Walsh's uh, performance. Yeah. It was it was brilliant. He really sold um, the humor that his mm. character is there. I mean, in some respects, you could say his character is the comic relief, but it's not overplayed. Mm-hmm. And that was um, actually one of my it, concerns. It, I was still looking mm-hmm. forward to him being cast, but I thought, is it just going to be comedy that he brings to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I think I think a lot of people had that concern because when it was the first announced he was going to be a companion in it, a lot of people seemed to um, go, oh, is he going to be sort of like irritating comic relief? But yeah. I've, seen, I've seen him in other things and he's always been a good actor. Uh, seeing him in this, it was... It it just it just seemed like an effortless performance. Everything was just delivered perfectly. You've got the humor. It didn't feel forced, which goes into you know it was well written and he's just you know performing what is uh, written on the script uh, perfectly. Yeah. But you know he's uh, he does um, sort of like the heroic moments uh, really well, and he really sold the emotional moments. And that's one of the things that I really loved about this episode in general i think i think it was perfect drama you had the humor you had uh, it was it was generally creepy and scary yeah and you had real emotion and uh, grace uh, who plays his wife wonderfully by sharon d clark who's a really really well respected actress she received uh, an mbe i think in 2017 for services to drama and um the you know the fact that she's a very well respected actress it shows she plays Grace wonderfully wonderfully well and we really connect yeah. to her to the point that when she passes away uh, when she dies in the episode it really it really affected me as a viewer I felt really really touched and then later on when we see Bradley Walsh um, deliver that speech at at her funeral again that he really really sells the emotion for that and i think grace's death um is is important not not only just in terms of the story but i think in terms of the the series 
as a whole. Because one of the things that I've... Um, one of the things that has irritated me a little bit about the show since it's come back in 2005 is its complete inability, or perhaps not inability, but sh- it really seems to shy away from, from death. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that really draws away f- from the drama. So yeah. when, for example, Clara died in Heaven Sent, I think that was a brilliant send-off for her character. Yeah. But that was completely, uh, two weeks later, was completely altered. Yeah. Uh, and it's gone... Well, what was the point of that? If you, and Bill was actually a really good example of that because uh, in Peter Capaldi's uh, final season, we, we introduced to Bill, who I think was a fantastic companion, and we really connect to her. And they do something really, really bold and dramatic, which is they turn her into a Cyberman. Yeah. And that's handled incredibly well. I th- it's, it's just really, really superb drama. And yeah. it's, it's devastating. It's horrific, yeah. But then it's... Yeah, it really, really is. And then they seem to do a bit of a cop-out, which I wasn't a fan of. And I think um, I wasn't the only one who felt this, because I'm sure I came across somewhere where Stephen Moffat said that um, Doctor Who shouldn't touch upon death because children watch the show. Now, me personally, I can see where he's coming from. But I think it's a cop-out in terms of the drama, and I think that's quite patronising towards children. I'll give a couple examples. So, during the classic series, um, famously, in the story Earthshock, Adric, a companion, who's been a companion for some time at that point, he dies. Yeah. And that really brought back the impact and the drama and the danger that one can encounter on these adventures with the Doctor. Yeah, and children children, children empathise with death. You know, and it's, it's something yeah, it's, it's just Yeah, I think life. it's one of the... Yeah, I think it's something that... I mean, obviously, it has to be handled deftly. Um, but I think that's that's a very important lesson that, that children need to be taught. If you look at, mm. for example, The Snowman, mm. which uh, is famously a cartoon, but it was a, but, but it began as a, um, as a children's book... Well, yeah, that is actually a whole metaphor for death. It was yeah. the writer specifically told that story, you know, because you got the snowman, uh, the boy befriends the snowman, and then he melts at the end. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny you brought this up because that was just in my mind now. When I was yeah. thinking about children dealing with death, oh, um, right. mm-hmm. when my daughter was maybe three, she sat down to watch the snowman, and she'd never really cried at anything before, and then. Where at the end, uh, I I looked at my daughter and she was just in floods of tears. Well, it was just interesting to see because mm. she d- at that age she didn't show that much empathy towards um towards certain things and she hadn't had an experienced death mm. before. And then watching that, she really felt it in such a strong way. And since then, she's um six now and she doesn't want to watch it. Because she remembers. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the reason why I, I'm perhaps focusing on this is because um, I was very fortunate enough to, to know my great-grandparents. And I was very, very close uh, to my great-grandfather who passed away when I was eight. And that was the first time that sort of m- my family at that point had experienced death. And uh, it was with the best of intentions, 
uh, and I totally understand it, but my parents thought it would be best not for me to attend the funeral because they thought that I would find it um, too emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was from the best of intentions. So I didn't go to the funeral. I was at school that day. But but I sh- but the, the problem is with that is that for, for many, many years, and it's still the case to now, it's still the case now, um, I feel like there wasn't any closure because I wasn't at the funeral, so I wasn't able to say goodbye properly. That's just that's just a personal thing. Yeah. So I can understand that it is one of those things that it is it is a very difficult subject. But nonetheless, I still think it is a very important lesson to 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 teach um, from a young age, regardless of what that age, depending on when that age is um, is open to debate. But if you do it deftly, which I think this was done, I think it was in the woman who fell to earth, I thought it was beautifully, beautifully done because you had Grace, as I say, really, really well written, fully integrated into the story. So when she dies, you as a viewer uh, really feel that. Yep, and she's a very and... maternal, selfless mm-hmm. character. So it, it really does strike a chord when she dies. Yeah, so yeah. And t- so, so, so getting, going back to the point, it was just like, so it works incredibly well for, for the drama of the episode, looking at individually, um, it, just the story individually. But as I said, I think it's I think it's also a very important step um, for the show because yeah. it's able to, to to deal with this thing, and so it really sells the drama uh, and the danger that the series uh, can explore. Yeah. Uh, but I also think it's it's important in of itself. Yeah. And there was there was a lot there was a lot more death in the story, wasn't there? Not not the dramatic death that, um, like Grace, but obviously mm-hmm. there was a lot of um, extra characters dying. Let's see, the train driver died, the villain um, who was taking the teeth, he obviously was killed. Yeah, enough. that was really, really, uh, that was really, really creepy. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it, it was good, but yeah, because when... Um, I've forgotten the name of the character, but when uh, it's it's the man in the garage yeah. whose uh, his sister was kidnapped from a very young age. I mean, th- that in itself is. Um, I wonder if that was inspired by the X Files, but that was very. Um, you know that that that, that was an uh, an emotional and and, and dark yeah. um, part of the plot. But when he, you know, one he's 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 killed in cold blood, so that it emphasizes the the danger of of the villain. Yeah. So again, that goes into the fact that uh, Chris Chibnall, who wrote the episode, was um, really knows drama very well. But that was um, really dark and really horrific because when the Doctor and um, the friends discover the body, obviously we don't see it. No, but, but it's described that his his jaw's been dislocated. There's a tooth missing. I mean, that's yeah. really we don't that's really we scary. don't see it, but it's very visual, and we're seeing mm. Ryan, Graham, Grace, and Yasmin staring over the body for a moment. And we're seeing their yeah. reaction, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a very graphic moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Fanning out was going, "Why is he stealing the teeth?" Well, obviously these are a trophy. And then, and then the way that that's uh, utilized, where yes, the teeth are as a trophy, but he's actually he's actually embedding them into his own skin. I mean that that, that I mean that's dark, that's twisted. Yeah. But very good in oh, terms yeah. of the, the drama and the atmosphere of the story. 
Okay, so going back to the characters, um, should we start by looking mm-hmm. at Ryan? Because he's, he's introduced um, riding his bike. He's got this coordination disorder that he's trying, yeah. to, he's trying to overcome. And I'm guessing that'll, that'll be um, featured more in the series to come. Because by the end mm-hmm. of the episode, he, he hasn't overcome um, that yet when he's, he's still trying to ride his bike. And where's the where's this theme going? Do you think he's trying to better himself as a person, or um, where do you think this is going to go? And will will he physically be able to overcome this at some point in the in the series? I think he will, because yeah. I think if you were to just approaching his character as if you were a writer, that you know you've introduced this um, this element to his his character. That has to, I think if you were just approaching it purely as a writer, that has to have some sort of payoff. So I think it, it, I think it will be something that recurs throughout the series. I don't think it will be something that is massively flagged up. No. Because I thought, again, this was something that, that was, that's part of his character, but it was handled very, very deftly. I yeah. thought you know, it was handled very well. I think the way that it will be, be utilised is actually as a really good demonstration to show how he is brave. Yeah. Because uh, he he has this disability, um, but he kept on pushing himself. Yeah. Um, so I think that I think that's the way that it'll be utilized in the series. It'll it, to show actually, you know, that this man's tremendously brave and he doesn't give up. I thought that was really really nice. That at the end, you know, he keeps on trying. He keeps on trying, and you know, um, and then you've just got the doctor uh, at a distance, just watching yeah. him do that, and. Um, which yeah. I thought I thought that was a that was a nice moment, yeah. And she doesn't interfere; she just lets him because it's something that he has to do on his own. Of course, she's yeah. just watching, and yeah. I th- I think that's the way that will be um that will be utilized. Yeah, so that's something to watch, and mm-hmm. not just um, not just Ryan, but a lot of the other characters that either they've got they want to better themselves, or they maybe they doubt their self worth, or they want to aspire to something better, like. Yasmin, for example, she seems impatient and bored as a probation officer, and she she wants more. Um, Ryan seems to he seems to resent his job, or he doesn't like working in the warehouse. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's tried his hand at vlogging, which we see in the opening scene. Um, oh, we'll, yes, we'll, yes, that's we'll look true. at some of the suggested videos at this. The suggested videos at the side is like how to make money vlogging stuff like that. So he's he's trying mm-hmm. he's trying to do something better with himself, and then Carl, the guy in the train, he's got his his motivational audio books that he's listening to. You know, he doubts mm-hmm. his self worth. He wants to better himself. Who else? Even even the bad guy Tim Shaw, he doubts he doubts himself somehow because he was essentially cheating at the hunt, wasn't he? Sending sending that thing ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so. <laughs> Um, I, I guess that's not as important, but um, maybe that's maybe a theme to look out for. People want to better themselves um, by the end of the series. That's actually really good, because I, I, I saw it in terms of the individual episode. I hadn't clocked on to what you've just said, which is it may be a potential theme for the series, because I was, I was going to discuss this later on, but I think this is a good time to open it now, because we know very little about what the, the rest of the series is going to hold. Um, the episode no. closed actually just showing these are some of the actors who are going to appear 
in the rest of the series, and that's the only hint that really that we've got. And it's like, blimey, the yeah. cast is really impressive. Oh yeah. But one thing that we do know is that some episode later on in the series will feature Rosa Parks. And this was a bit of a concern for me. Um, not because it would introduce Rosa Parks. For listeners who don't know, Rosa Parks was um, a black American who was born in Alabama. Yeah. And she's famous for being a civil rights activist. Now, um, during America at the time, there was massive racial segregation. And she took part in this thing called the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Uh, because what that was was public transport buses. Segregation was, was rife, uh, including on public transport, where uh, bus lines were segregated, uh, as were the buses themselves. And if you were a black person sitting on the bus, you were expected to give up your seat uh, for someone who was white. Mm. But uh, in December the 5th, 1955, Rosa Parks did something which seems very simple but was incredibly brave and had a massive knock-on effect, which was she refused to give up, give up her seat for a white person. And the result of that was she was arrested. But that had a knock-on effect, which was uh, that was discussed. And not long after, the, um, the Montgomery Lows, which segregated buses, was deemed unconstitutional. So this forms a big part of the civil rights movement. Now, the reason why I mention that is because I think this is a massive, I think this is a, a, a massive, um, a, a massively significant thing in history. So to have that in the show, I think, is really interesting. It'd be interesting to see what they do that. My concern was, given how I think Rosa Parks is a, is a very, very important historical figure, uh, unfortunately, she passed away in 2005. Mm-hmm. My concern is that they introduced this really important historical event and it's somehow explained that the Doctor is the one who gives her that bravery in order to do this remarkable thing. Hmm. Rather than it was her own, rather than it was her own uh, confidence and ability and so on. Um, it's just a personal thing, but I would... It, I would much rather it be seen as as, as, a, as a real thing that it was Rosa Parks's own bravery, yeah, that made her do that rather than oh it wouldn't have happened if the, uh, unless the doctor sort of you know came along and made her build up her self confidence. Yeah, I think it'd be much more. I think it'd be much more interesting if if it Rosa Parks's uh, bravery actually influences um one of the companions. Right. Okay. Well, that that may tie in with what we were talking about before about the doctor standing back, letting someone mm. o- overcome their own problems. Sorry, that got a bit serious there for a moment, but yeah. it's just um, it's just a bit of a concern that, that that's niggled me a bit because that's the um, that's only I think that's only one of the uh, the things that we know about the series. That at some point it'll have an episode featuring Rosa Parks. So one of the other characters that's been introduced in this series is Yasmin Khan. Mm-hmm. And what what was your yeah, initial, the, uh, what was your initial thoughts about Yasmin? Actually, to be honest, it's sort of uh, with Yasmin, I think possibly. I mean, I think all the characters were re- well written, um, but I think her character potentially um, is the one who's the least drawn out because I remember Graham, I remember Ryan, I remember Grace, I remember Carl, and I remember the villain um, <laughs> Tim Shaw. I, I remember them yeah. all very well. 
and obviously I remember Yasmin, but not as much. All the other characters uh, come to mind um, more. Uh, she is a very good character, but I think compared to the others, I think perhaps her character is the one that maybe needs to be drawn out a bit more. We may even see a bit more character, a uh, bit more character development. Um, but as I say, I mean it's the first episode. You you can only do so much. I think uh, Chris yeah. Chibnall did a very good job of introducing them all. Uh, what was, what was, I, th- what I think that's ine- it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I think it's inevitable that we'll have um, more of a personal drawn out story for Yasmin because um, the story mm-hmm. was focused mainly on Ryan and his family and Yaz's main, yep. main connection to him was the fact that she, she knew him from school mm-hmm. uh, and the story focuses more on her career and her experiences with these events in general yeah, um, yeah. so Yasmin in this story um, she's she's on duty and she's Dealing with it, dealing with these events. Um, do you think she dealt with them very professionally? Because she she essentially ignores procedures. Yeah, that's true. I mean, funny enough, I mean, it was it wasn't a major wasn't a major thing for me. But there was one thing that I was aware of when watching it is going. She's be, she's been called to to look into these these things, yeah. and she doesn't seem to have reported back. No, I mean. <laughs> You know, it's just that's the only thing. But one of my main concerns I mean, was the a... fact that the train driver's dead, and she decides not to call that in. I mean, that's that's something that's going to come back to her. I'm guessing, at some point. Do you think by the end of this series, if she returns home, what um, she'll just go back to her old life? Um, and if she does, um, do you think there'll be any ramifications? from what she's done in this story. I'm not sure. I mean, I suspect so. I think one of the interesting things is, is that I, I, I mean, whether this is the case or not, I'm not sure. But I've got a, a suspicion that maybe Chris Chibnall um, is perhaps a little bit inspired by the Peter Davison era, particularly his first season, because that was, that was very much a team ensemble. You know, you had the Doctor and you had a group of companions and it was very much a team. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was you had the then companion, uh, Tegan, who was an airline st- uh, stewardess. And her whole thing is she had a job to do, which was to be a, uh, which was to be a stewardess. So that became the sort of um, <laughs> a bit of a funny <laughs> plot point with this, uh, for the show at that point. Yeah. I do, I, I'm not saying that Chris Chibnall will go down that route. But I, d- I do find it interesting. So you, you've got, you have got the Doctor, you have got this team ensemble. And you do have one of them, which in this case is Yasmin, and she has a very clear job role. Um, and just what were you saying there? I think maybe that is something that will pop up every now and again. Um, you know that she works for the police force and she's wanting to do more interesting things. And mm-hmm. now that she's involved with that, but she's been involved in things that are probably perhaps more interesting than she realised. How, how do you report that to your superiors? I mean, because that is one thing that the doctor says, because she says, I need to inform my superiors. And then the doctor says, um, well, what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, because that's another thing as well that the doctor says is like you know because you're having to think of a story to tell them 
because if you tell them the truth, they'll think you're barking mad. Words to that effect. Yeah, and they were. Do you think um, they were too quick to start believing everything? Because when they're in the when they're in the warehouse or the garage, and Yasmin and Ryan are looking around, and they they have words about. Um, do you think she's really an alien? Uh, and they kind of mm-hmm. they kind of agree on that. Do you think they've had enough time to climatize to that? Um, the fact that she's an alien. Or do you think that they came to that conclusion a bit too me soon? Me personally, I, well, no, me. I mean, me personally, I think uh, I think that did. I didn't feel that was jarring when I was watching the episode. And I mean, given at that point, they've seen this big, strange, swirly thing uh, on a train, um, which is is clearly dangerous. Then they've seen that massive uh, alien thing and the air, that that strange egg thing, which turns out to be a transporter. Yeah. Um, the the results of that, all this alien technology, and then later on the I've forgotten where what it's placed uh, in the episode, but at some point that you know they see the Doctor resting and there's all that Archon energy or regeneration energy flowing right, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think with all those things building up, I think um, yeah, I think there was enough time to establish that and go yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, this person, it's, the Doctor's a bit. It's interesting about aliens and Doctor Who because on the train. Graham says, "Don't be daft. There's no such thing as aliens." Um, mm-hmm. And and since the since the revival of Doctor Who, on and off, there's been um, it's been widespread public knowledge of aliens. You know, you've got the Battle of Canary Wharf, you've got obviously the planets mm-hmm. in the sky, stuff like that. Um, and obviously that gets slightly retconned in Amy's mind, which I guess would put down to the the crack in our wall, you know, how much of this stuff, was this stuff just erased in her mind, or has it adjusted the continuity of the whole world? Um, it Obviously, you, you, there's no way you can make sense of all this, you know. Um, and how come no one, no one remembers Miracle Day, things like that, you know, all these tragic or strange events. Um, do you, oh, don't complicate it, don't bring Torchwood <laughs> into it. <laughs> um... No, no, that's a good point, but I think... Um, I generally got the impression that they weren't aware of the existence of aliens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. One of the things that uh, Chris Chibnall has been very open about is this thing about, you know, this is starting from scratch, um, there'll be no heavy focus on continuity. I think that's really good and healthy for the show, because if you if you're very conscious about continuity what you end up doing is you're just constantly looking back, you're not looking forward. And also, as well, you end up alienating general viewers. Yeah. And obviously that's what you're aiming for. You don't want the aim this exclusively just, just at the fans. You know, you want to open this up and be as inclusive um, and as popular as possible. That's that's what Doctor Who is about. I think um, that was becoming a problem. Whether yeah. this... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was, I think... I think um, one of the things that I was becoming aware of as the Stephen Moffat era uh, carried on was, because I've got a lot of friends who like watching Doctor Who, but they're just general viewers. They're not died in the wool fans. They just, you know, watch it because uh, they happen to like it. I found that as time was going on, they were becoming less and less interested in the show because I think, you know, th- there was that constant focus on continuity and the plot lines were becoming overly complicated and, and things like that. Um, yeah. 
so whether this uh, whether this is uh, ex- whether this is explained later on for this is the reason why it's retconned and no one is aware of aliens I, I don't know personally I don't think it's, it's needed but um, Chris Chibnall may write that into the show I don't know but I think at this point what what I just like is it's very open it's very grounded it's just really good drama and at the end of the day that's that's all you want I think um, in terms of continuity yes there are certain things in terms of the show um, the TARDIS certain villains the fact that the Doctor's Gallifrey and Regen- you know the, the, those things are obviously integral to the show in yeah. general but everything else I think yeah have continuity in terms of a, a of a producer's run that's fine but at the end of the day it's all about telling a good story yeah I um, think that's right going forward I, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't I wasn't concerned about the fact that oh suddenly no one knows what aliens are I was just wow oh, this is just a really good story and I'm gripped yeah. by it yeah and I, I think um when the show came back in 2005 I was I was starting to crave references and and things to crop up and then when Capaldi's era comes around it's kind of oversaturated with references um, for example, if you sit someone down and let them watch Hellbent, you know, the episode on Gallifrey, that they've never seen the show before, they'll not have a clue what's yeah. going on. You know, the, um, they'll not know who Rassilon is the, um, or what this culture is, you know. no, They'll not know who the Sisterhood of Khan are. Um, mm-hmm. it, puts, it does put a lot of demand on the viewer, and a lot, a lot of viewers don't care about the old stuff, really, do they? You know, you, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to rely, uh, um, on having all this foreknowledge. Yeah, you, you, you shouldn't have to have a, an encyclopedic knowledge of the show in order to enjoy it. Yeah. I think that there's nothing wrong with having nods now, now and again, but if it's at the detriment to a general viewer understanding it, then I think that that's problematic. Yeah. For example, I think a really good. For some reason, this is the. I think there was a a Matt Smith episode called Hyde, and what he he ends up going right. I need I need a metabil meta. I can't say the word now. I need a crystal from Metabolus Three, and he briefly explains what that is. Now that's a perfect reference because he references this thing. He explains what it is. It does that thing. General viewers understand in terms of the context of the show. Fans like us go, oh, but it's a nice little wink to the John Pertwee era. Yeah. But you don't. But you don't need to know that in order to understand the story. Yeah, it's like in um, "Let's Kill Hitler," when Mel's shoots the time rotor of the TARDIS, and I think Matt's doctor says something like, oh, "Or she says, oh, but you said the TARDIS was in a state of temporal grace," and he said, "Oh, that was a lie." <laughs> you know, that's another bit of continuity which doesn't which doesn't matter, but it also fixes some of the problems with people using guns in the TARDIS in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's right. It's it's just like a nice little joke that fans get, but it's something that's explained within the, the you know, within the story. It doesn't get in the way of, t- of, of telling it. So if you are to do those references, there's nothing wrong with them. That's the way to do it. But not if you're having to go, right, in order to understand this story, you need to know this, 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 and this. And you need to know this story off by heart in order for this to make sense. Uh, that's when it becomes a bit problematic. And I think 
I, uh, I think there were moments in the Stephen Moffat era. I mean, I don't want to... That's the thing. I, I think with certain comments that I made, I, I don't want to sound too negative about that era. Um, Because uh, there were some really, really good things about it. But I do think that was something that was becoming a bit of a problem, personally. Mm-hmm. So this this is a you know this is a fresh beginning for the show. It's really exciting. It's all about telling a really good, uh, really good drama, and people can just tune in as general viewers and just wallow in a good story. Okay, so another thing I'd like to talk about is the villain of the story. We've got Tim Shaw. Mm-hmm. I thought we've already talked about all the horrific aspects of that. You know, all the killing and the way he takes the victims' teeth and all that. Um, but do you think? this villain was um, presented effectively. Um, to me, I was worried that it was, it just felt like a bit of a villain of the week that was there to serve the story. Did you ha- What was your feelings about that? Yeah, I think in some respects I agree with what you're saying. That it was, it was clearly sort of like a monster of, of the week that, that was dealt with within the confines of the story. But yeah. I think it was handled very well. Um, there was that mystery surrounding what turned out like the transport thing he was introduced very very effectively that there was this prior connection to earth he'd been here before yeah okay well that's interesting the, the first thing that you know we see him do is is actually something really really vindictive it turns out you know we have this character this villain's been introduced he's kidnapped uh, a child yes. many many years ago and then the man asks where is my sister and then he gets him to ask that question again. And then he then says, you will never know. And then kills him in a really brutal way. Mm-hmm. I think that was fe- I think that was a very, very good introduction to, uh, to the, this villain. It shows him he's a really nasty piece of work. And he's, he's, he's very vindictive. Um, so I think his introduction and how he was utilised uh, in the story was very good. But it was balanced really well because you had, uh, as we say, we, we, we've spoken uh, before about you know how he uses teeth as trophies, but that introduction I think was really good. But it's balanced with the humour as well. There's a bit which I think, funnily, in a strange sort of way, may be my personal highlight of the episode. There's a bit where we just see this, this man, he's clearly had a night out, he's a bit drunk, he's eating a kebab. And and he's and he's he's throwing the veg away. He's yeah. throwing the salad away. I can relate to that. Um, and I like that. And then he just he starts throwing the salad at the in his face. Yeah. So you've got you've got that wonderful sense of humour and dread mm-hmm. because you've got this character and he's, he, you know, it is quite funny. But you know fine well that it's not good. It's 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 not going to end well. So it's 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 balanced. That's sort of the drama. And the humour is balanced really well. So later on, when the doctor is standing up to this person, you know, she's t- telling him to go away, essentially, and calling him Tim Shaw and all the rest of it. Yeah. It um, it really, it sort of balance, it, it really balances it out. It really adds to the drama. So me, personally, I thought he was, I thought he was a very, very effective villain. Yeah. And as villains go, he really did feel dangerous. Because he was yeah. killing, and that's another problem with villains when they just don't feel dangerous. You know, well, like the Daleks. You know, a villain should feel dangerous, like the Terminator from Terminator One, not like the later mm. Terminator movies, where they're not even going to chase you and kill you and rip your head off the first chance they get. 
<laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I mean, that's the thing as well, because I think... I mean, I love the Daleks. They're, they're a classic villain. And when they're utilised well, you know, they can be really, really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, one of the things that has been a bit of a bugbear for me since the show came back was their constant use to the point where if they're constantly coming back and they're constantly being defeated, they become really, really ineffective. Mm-hmm. And it really affects, again, I keep on making this point, but it, keep, it, it negatively affects the drama of the series. And one of the things I was really pleased with, because uh, again, this is something that Chris Chibnall has said, is that this series will not have any recurring villains. Mm-hmm. One, that's good for the series because it, you, you know, it's using its imagination. We're going to be seeing new characters and, and, and new villains, and that's really, really good. The Daleks will, of course, come back at some point. Yeah. But what that will mean is when they come back, it will be, right, well, I haven't seen them in a while, this is absolutely fantastic, and hopefully, when they do come back, um, it, will be, it, will, it will use them very, very effectively, and it will bring back that thing that made them popular to begin with, which is... Um, their scare factor, yeah. you know, you know, utilizing them dramatically very well, very well, very very well, um, be creepy and atmospheric, and um, and they need they need they need to feel dangerous and threatening, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, I think um, the last time the Daleks were used perfectly was actually way back in Christopher Eccleston's uh, period. I think the uh, the episode Dalek introduced how dangerous a single Dalek can be, and yeah. was very good. And then when we then at the very end of that that series, um, the very last uh, story, Christopher Eccleston appears as the Doctor. They are ruthless and they are scary, uh, and yeah, there, there have been good there have been good Dalek stories since, but not as good. Not in the same way. That was the last time that yeah, that was the last time that that they were used effectively, and that's going back quite some time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another. I think that's another good change uh, for the series that that Chris Chibnall has has um, has brought in. Yeah, and I think the original Dalek sto- Dalek serial was a hard one to replicate because when the Doctor and his companions are on Scaro, there's a feeling of entrapment, and the um, and they do. They really do feel dangerous, and there's a lot of mystery there. You know what, what's inside, um, and there's been a lot of great Dalek stories since. But I think, yeah, the yeah. the fear hasn't been replicated very well since then. They're just being brought back for the sake of it, because you know essentially we do want to see them, and we do like Dalek stories. Mm-hmm. So the there's two things were absent from this episode. One was the opening titles. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yep. And another was the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, we, we went we went straight into uh, into the action, as it were. We went straight into the story. There was no opening titles, uh, no theme music, um, which was interesting. I think that was I think that was both. I think that was two things. Uh, I think one, it was practical to to squeeze in as much story as as possible. Yeah. The other thing as well is. Um, the thing that, because to be perfectly honest, it wasn't something that I actually noted noted until we were probably fifteen minutes into the episode. Mm-hmm. But by that point, I wasn't really bothered because I was enjoying what I was watching. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it did remind me of, of something, which was when the when the James Bond series rebooted itself with uh, Casino Royale. Yeah. The one thing it didn't use, the one thing uh, was the opening gun barrel se- the opening gun barrel sequence, and the whole thing for the for the next few Bond movies was that that was something you know we're seeing the character reintroduced and these famous icons is something that the character has to earn Mm -hmm. so when we do finally see that in a few years time down the line uh with um i think it was specter that was the first one to the first daniel craig movie to open with a gun barrel it felt right right okay he's got these these icon these iconic things because he's he's earned it that sort of reminded me of this you know it's a new doctor it's a new series in some respects it is a sort of reboot for the show. Yes, it's 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 continuing, but I think you could it's the first series, arguably since two thousand and five, where you anyone can watch it, which we touched upon before. You don't have to sit down and watch this with, with any foreknowledge. Yeah. Everything you need to know is explained. It is in some respects it's it's a sort of a reboot. Um so when we do finally, because we hear a little bit of the theme tune, the first moment that we see Jodie Whittaker. Yes. Um, very there's brief. A, there's a bar or two. Yeah, very, very brief. And then, of course, at the end, uh, when the credits are rolling. Um, yeah. Because now that she's been established, I suspect that the next episode, which I think is called The, which is called the Ghost Monument, um, now that the Doctor's been introduced and everything like that, we'll... Um, We'll have the full title sequence, and you know that's something else that we, as as as, as fans and general viewers, uh, can can look forward to. And I suspect um, we'll have the TARDIS introduced in that episode, uh, brought back in that uh, in that episode as well. Yeah, I mean, did, the fact that we didn't have a title sequence did that bother you? No, not at all. No, and it's something to look forward to. It's something for everyone to tune into ne- in for next next week, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you got any expectations from the TARDIS? Um, no, I haven't because the, the, I've managed. I mean, I think that the, one of the things that I think the BBC have done really, really well is is keeping as much of this series as secret mm-hmm. as possible. Um, just going back when it was um, when we got uh, when it was Peter Capaldi's final season, and we got to the uh, the Cyberman story. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people were disappointed with was that the return of John Sim as the Master was revealed in advance that he was uh, you know he was in the 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 trailer for the episode and so on yeah. and everyone felt that that would have been a tremendous surprise and I'm absolutely thrilled had that had that been kept behind and a lot of people and quite understandably I can get this went well the likelihood of the BBC keeping that secret is very slim yeah but I think what the BBC have done and Chris Chibnall and everyone involved in the making of the show have actually demonstrated really, really well is that it's possible to create a series and you be in charge as much as possible of what is is, is leaked. Mm. I, I think they've done a, a, an absolutely tremendous job. Yes, apparently someone leaked, I think it was a, a clip from the first episode at some point. Um, yes. yeah. But that wasn't major... I could easily avoid that, and I did. I think apparently um, there's been photos of 
of the TARDIS interior that the, the new design is leaked. I think some people are. Uh, I think some people are aware of what it looks like. I've managed to avoid that. Yeah, I would so actively when, avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. So so when it's finally revealed, that's going to be a nice um, nice bit of excitement for me. Am I right in saying that you've seen it though? No, I haven't seen it. All oh, right. Okay. No, that's fine. Um, I know some people have, but I've managed to avoid that. Yeah. So, the little things that have been leaked, um, they've actually been quite small, and it's up to you, as a viewer, whether you hunt those things out because you want to, or someone such as myself who who wants to be surprised to can completely avoid them. I think the BBC have have handled um, this series very well. Everything is a surprise. So when the woman who fell to earth ended there was a massive trailer just advertising special guests special actors who are going to be in uh, in future episodes and the cast is staggering um they've got they've got some really really uh, impressive actors uh, coming into the series yeah um so you know so, so that's something that i'm looking forward to so just these little things uh that we're finding out as the series um you know, as we were approaching the first episode, and as and now that we're running, we're just getting these nice little things dotted here and here and there. The, the, the just things that are easy to appreciate. Yeah, no, that was a really clever choice with the, um, the coming soon trailer because it can really mm-hmm. spoil everything, can't it? The worst example I can think of that would be episode one of Torchwood Miracle Day, um, and at the end of that episode, there was a like a. I felt like it felt like it went on forever, like a five-minute trailer of the entire, th- the entire series to come, and that really gave everything away. <laughs> um, so I'm yeah, re- that's true. I, I think um, no, sorry, go on. Yeah, I'm really glad that um, going forward, we're not gonna we're not really gonna know much, and I wonder if there'll be a um, a trailer at the end of each episode. I'm guessing there will be. Um, a next time trailer, do you think? Yep, uh, possibly, but the I think there'll just be some like nice little teasers and probably just a few glimpses, you know, certain shots, rather than, oh, this is a villain, um, or this is a major, you know, a major speech that'll be given at some point in the next series. I think it'll just be nice little, um, tidbits if you like, rather than things that you can easily draw conclusions from. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the end of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. it was very reminiscent of a, another certain time in the show um, where they all get teleported and it would be good if there's a bit more continuity from episode to episode because it that kind of reminded me of um, the Doctor and Sarah and Harry, Sarah and Harry transmatting about using time rings do you think there'll be a bit more continuity from episode to episode um, or will they get to the TARDIS by episode 2 do you think um, I think what we'll see is that um, how this episode ended will be explained at the beginning of Ghost Monument. Mm-hmm. So Ghost Monument clearly follows on from the woman who fell to Earth. I think they'll get the TARDIS mm-hmm. um, at the end of it. Um, this is just a guess. We, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think they'll, they'll get to the TARDIS at the uh, end of that episode. And then we'll see them go on their first adventure by choice. You know, they get to choose the destination or whatever. After yeah. that, and then I they'll be presented with more standalone it, stories, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
So do you think you'd like the idea of going forward less TARDIS travel if if it didn't show up in episode 2? Or do you think it's an essential part of the show that needs to be there? That's an interesting question. I think um, because in the past the show has managed to be very successful without the TARDIS. Um, most of the John Pertwee era for example was like that. Having yeah. said that though um, they were aware that having too many earthbound stories could potentially fatigue the audience, especially with a show like Doctor Who, so you need to balance it out. Yeah. So even though the third Doctor was stranded on Earth, you had a couple of moments when you know, he was it wasn't through his own volition, it was because it was explained through the, the, the Time Lords, but you know, he had a couple of adventures off world, if I can put it like that. But you know, it, there was very few stories with the TARDIS. Um yeah, and there's a, there so, was, I mean, there was it, another it, time. It can work. Sorry, but I, I no, just, no, that's fine. Sorry, I think it again. can work. I think it can work, um, but whether that's something that most people want to be tuning in for now, I think I'd be surprised if that's the route that they'll go down. I mean, as I said, it can work, but I'd be surprised if they do do that. I think it'd be. I think probably what we'll see is a, a, a bit of a balance. You know, we will have Earth-based stories probably more, but we'll have a chuck, uh, a couple of alien planets chucked in just to um, just to have a, a much more varied series. Yeah. Well, I, I hope there's less Earth-bound stories. I remember when the first series came out in two thousand five. You might not think it when you, in retrospect, but but when you actually look at it, they're they're pretty much all Earth-bound stories. Or they're set in orbit, you know. In in all the in in that entire series, Rose doesn't leave Earth, apart from in the final episode when she's teleported to the the Dalek saucer, which is on the far end of the solar mm-hmm. system. Um, and there wasn't there wasn't really any alien planets there. Um, but yeah, I hope there's a lot less Earthbound stories. So, we're entering a new era of the show with Chris Chibnall as the showrunner. He's obviously wrote quite a few stories for Torchwood and Doctor Who. No, not so many, really. Um, his first Doctor Who story was 42. And it's probably one yeah. of the stories I've barely rewatched since it was broadcast. Can you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I think it's a decent story. I mean, one of the things... Um, I was quite surprised when Chris Chibnall was announced to be the next um, lead writer. Mm. The reason being was because of the stories that he's written for Doctor Who. They're not awful, mm-hmm. um, but they're not. But they're not perhaps the most um, remembered. I mean, Forty Two. I do remember that. It's a it's a decent story, but I tend to remember it more for the look of it. Uh, because I think Graham Harper directed that one, and he's you know he's a very good stylish uh, director. Yeah, he knows how to tell a story, and there was a, a, a wonderful use of of color in that. So I remember the wonderful contrasts of reds and oranges and blues. So I remember the look of um, Forty Two, then perhaps the overall story. Um, I mean, I remember what the story's about. It's it's a decent story, but as I said, the thing that fires my imagination is the look of it. Mm. Um, the next one he'd written for the series was The Hungry Earth in Cold Blood, yeah. which I wasn't a particular fan of. 
um, I feel it felt a bit derivative and a bit. Um, I wasn't surprised. It followed very obvious beats. Uh, in it terms didn't of, of, didn't of need story. to be a two part, did it? Mm. Personally, no. I mean, I thought it was a very um, solid uh, retelling of Doctor Who and the Sil- uh, Doctor Who and the Silurians. Mm. And because we've already got that story, and it wasn't adding anything new to it. No. I mean, obviously, this is a this, this is an opinion of a of a of a long term fan, um, but I didn't think it was a story that was strictly necessary. I wasn't a story that surprised me. As I say, it was fine. I think it was written solidly, but it didn't it didn't excite me as a viewer. Yeah. Um. So the next one that you'd written after that was dinosaurs on a spaceship. I don't think it's particularly uh, fondly remembered by fans, but I really enjoyed that one. I thought it was a it was a good story, told well, and it was just a it was just a really enjoyable romp. Um, so of the Chris Chibnall stories that he's written for, for Doctor Who, that one's my favourite, just because uh, I found it very enjoyable. Okay. Do, uh, do you remember Dinosaurs on a Spaceship? Yeah, yeah, it was a very good one. Okay, after Dinosaurs on the Spaceship was The Power of Three which introduces Kate Stewart into the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and after that was quite a good story. All right, okay. For me, I thought that was a bit... Um, again, I thought it was a, a reasonably interesting idea. It didn't particularly excite me. I rem- the, funny enough, the only thing that I remember about that episode, and it's got nothing to do with the writing, it's to do with the fact that uh, Stephen Burkhoff's in it. Uh, I haven't got a problem with Stephen Burkhoff being in Doctor Who. He's a very well-respected writer and actor. That's the only thing I remember f- from The Power of Three, is that they had this absolutely remarkable actor in it, playing the villain, but he's only in it for what of all of ten minutes, I think. And it was just, mm-hmm. right, you've got this absolutely remarkable actor, um... But you're completely underusing him. That's the, that's the only thing I remember from. Obviously, that's got nothing to do with Chris Chibnall. No, he wouldn't have been uh, responsible for for the casting or anything like that. That's the only thing that I remember, and the fact it had something to do with uh, black boxes. So, in my view, some of the more interesting stories he's wrote has been for Torchwood, mm-hmm. for the first two series. Is there any of those that stand out to you? The first three do, uh, but in terms of Day One and Cyberwoman, not strictly for the best of reasons. I think um, Torchwood was, you know, was established as being this more grown-up uh, spin-off from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So we have Day One. Now, if I remember rightly, it's got um, it's got these monsters, which I think what was it? They they um, they survive through. The sexual energy of humans, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the gas. Uh, yeah, and it's a, it's not a bad idea. It's a bit sort of David Cronenberg, but the way that it's it comes across, it's very adolescent. Mm-hmm. And I have the same problem with Cyberwoman. I think it's a very good. I think it's a very good idea. Um. But again, the the way that it the, the way that's come across is a bit sort of adolescent. Exactly. Countryside. Yeah. Okay. I think is is a really good episode. I think that's that that's generally really good. Again, very dramatic and very creepy. And mm. 
and in terms of what Chris Chibnall has written uh, for the, the Doctor Who world, so for Doctor Who and Torchwood, mm-hmm. I think Countryside is probably the closest we get to what we get in The Woman Who Fell to Earth in terms of that sense of drama mm-hmm. and that sense of being able to tap into a really scary idea. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about Countryside and a few other stories. I think we can go into a lot more depth um, another time about that, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and End of Days was obviously their final story and that's in the first series. Yeah, we've got we've got Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which introduces James Masters. And he wrote Adrift, Fragments and Exit Wounds. And I think Fragments and Exit Wounds were the last two episodes in um, series two. And Fragments deals with a lot of flashbacks of the character's first experiences with Jack. And Exit Wounds would be the final story where James Masters and Jack's brother Grey come into it. Ah, hang on. I remember Fragments, now that you mention that. Um, yes, I think that was that was a very good. Um, yeah. I think that was a very good episode. Am I right in thinking that that was the one where? Um, is it? Oh, what's the uh, Tashika? Yeah, she gets. Um, well, that's she gets her incarceration held prisoner unit. by unit, and that doesn't sit. Yeah, with, yeah, that yeah. doesn't sit well with me because I'm a bit confused about where that fits in because Tosh meets the ninth Doctor. In Albion Hospital, you know, in in the Slitheen story, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if she's working for Torchwood at this point or not, but um, and she's also incarcerated in Unit for a while. Is that right? Yes, I think it's. I can't remember the time scale, but it was clearly a while. Yeah. So that and I think if I remember rightly, me. there was there was there was hints that she'd been tortured as well. Yeah, and this was all because she built a sonic screwdriver. Was that right? I don't think it was a sonic screwdriver, but yeah, I think she she uh, she stole some blueprints, yeah, and then built it, yeah. But what got her out of it was apparently Captain uh, Captain Jack noticed that had she followed the plans to the letter, the thing wouldn't have worked. So clearly, she has a technical understanding because she corrected it as she went on. So from what we've discussed, I I think we both agree that it was a really good debut story for Jodie Whittaker. Do you think? Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I think it was a, I think it was a superb introduction uh, for the new series, for a new Doctor, for all the new characters. I think it builds very well for the direction that the show is going to go in, and it's a story that I enjoy in of itself. Not just in terms of setting up a series, but just um, just in general. Yeah, I think it was a very good episode. Thanks for listening, and make sure to check out our next podcast where we'll be discussing the ghost monuments.